Well, today, my friends, I have a very special treat for you. One of our best friends in the entire world, Ben Pospisil, is here. His story is one for the books, and you do not want to miss it. God turned his mistakes into a really beautiful story of pursuit and redemption, and I cannot wait for y'all to hear it. Before we get to our buddy Ben, I want to talk about something I just found out about and I cannot wait to do. We all know I love to hear people's stories, but stories that I want to know the best are the ones from my parents and grandparents. We all joke that my dad always tells the exact same stories, and then one day I heard a story that I have never heard before, which got me thinking, how many other stories do I not know? So this is why for Mother's Day and Father's Day, spoiler alert, Dad, you're getting the same thing Mom got, I got our parents' story worth. It's an online service that helps you and your mom, dad, whoever helped raise you or whoever means the most to you through sharing stories and memories. Every week you get to choose from a long list of thought-provoking questions and StoryWorth will email your dad, your mom, whoever, the question you want them to answer. Each unique prompt asks questions you probably never thought of, like what was your fondest childhood memory or have you ever feared for your life? I personally cannot wait to hear my parents' answers and treasure them for the rest of our lives. After one year, StoryWorth combines all of the questions and stories and photos into a beautiful keepsake book that the whole family can hold on to and share for generations. I can't wait to pass these stories down to Remy and the rest of our family for generations to come. So give the most important person in your life a meaningful gift that you can both cherish for years to come, StoryWorth. Right now, for a limited time, you can save $10 on your first purchase when you go to storyworth.com slash CWK. That's S-T-O-R-Y-W-O-R-T-H dot com slash CWK to save $10 on your first purchase. Storyworth.com slash CWK. Now to our friend, Ben. (laughs) I'm so excited about this. Kales, we've been talking about this for like three years. I'm so excited. Okay, guys. Today, in the house, quite literally, in my house, we have DJ Benny P. DJ Magic Mike. <laughs> no Magic Mike. That was actually a, a band back in like the early 90s. Oh, it wasn't just like before, Channing Tatum? No, this was like way before him. Uh, Look it up. You'll see. Okay, I can't wait. Well, DJ Magic Mike makes a bass go boom. Uh, no. Mm, that's a thing. You're older than me. Okay. <laughs> Guys, we have this is going to be a fun episode. I'm just going to go ahead and just say it before it even happens. We have Russ's actual best friend in the house, and but it's mutual. I mean, you were our roommate for how long? I mean, more nine than months? You, more than you promised. <laughs> more than I signed up for. Yeah, you, you guys were like three me. months tops. Yeah, you said we'll give you ninety days, and I was like, how about nine months? <laughs> how about ten times that? Is that nine months? No. What happened? Oh, your roommate had gotten married. And you, did you end up buying a house in Nashville after that? Or? So I, I bought a rental and I didn't own a home. So I mean, I, yeah. I, I didn't, I didn't have, actually have a place to live. <laughs> so I was like, hey, can I crash at your pad? So Jess was like, yeah, sure. So I lived with him. And then Jess was like, yo, I'm getting married in August. You need to be out when I come back from my honeymoon. Yeah, I'm like, that's, that's fair. Yeah. I'd say that's fair. I, no, totally. You know, I don't encourage having roommates when you're married. Yeah. Even though we did, you. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> but we'd been married for a while. I remember one of our friends had roommates and they'd been married like five years longer. And I was like, I could never like as a newlywed, I was like, I could never have someone live with us. And then we just ended up collecting people just well, left and right. They would nowhere to go. And we're like, well, we have a basement apartment that you can live in. And it also helps when your roommate knows us. construction. Yeah, that really helped. 
You lived rent free, but I did get free renovations. <laughs> I mean, you guys probably gave me six grand in free rent, but I gave you sixty thousand in free renovations. <laughs> I this remember is our old house. One time on Saturday, it was like you were sleeping. Me and Russ were doing coffee in a little Bible study. I heard you talking previous, talking about how you wanted to like remove the wall and build a bar. Yeah. And so, like one day, Russ and I were up on Saturday, and I was just like, "Bro, we won't." And you heard it from I the did. room, didn't you? Yes, I heard. We won't. We won't. And if you know these two, that could be anything from skydiving <laughs> to just like playing putt putt in the yard. Like there's just no yeah, real yeah. range on what it could be. And I was like, oh, dear God, what are these two going to get into? And I walk out and you were like, should we demo this wall? Let's do the renovation. I was like, sure. But here's the thing. You came out and you're like, we won't. <laughs> yeah, I did. That too. <laughs> I was like, let's freaking do it. <laughs> it was awesome. Anyway, we we became friends Gosh, shortly after Russ and I got married, but it was it was a few years, like 2014. Really? Yeah. Oh, so we'd been married one year. Yep. So it was, it was in December 2014 at Daniela's Christmas, Christmas party. party. Yeah. And I met Russell, and this is before he was big, and he had this like <laughs> feather neck, like this necklace with a feather in his leather jacket. Yeah. And I think he might have had a V-neck too. Probably. He was and, a deep V guy for a season. And you guys have always been super close, which I love your marriage. I love your relationship. And you guys were both in the kitchen together. And I walked up and I was like, who is this attractive couple? <laughs> oh, I want to meet sweet. you guys. And so I started talking and Russell was like, bro. <laughs> so this was the night I was told the story that I'm going to make you tell all of my friends, because <laughs> I think it is one of the most powerful stories I've ever heard in my entire life. Wow. And basically, not to spoil it or anything, but we're best friends with a felon. <laughs> no big deal. He, he has ex-con. a ex-con. And his story of like redemption is so beautiful and powerful and more people need to hear it. So Thanks, I want, Gilles. I want you to tell it That's to amazing. my people. Where do you want me to start? Let's start with your days. So you grew up in San Diego. Let's yeah. Start so, there. so born and raised in San Diego Yeah. in South Bay, which is like literally five minutes from Mexico. So I grew up on Palm Avenue on BJ drive and I grew up at an all Hispanic school. Yeah. It was black and Hispanic and Asians. There was yeah. no, the only other white person at my elementary school was a janitor. Okay. Right. And okay. he used to smoke in his little closet. Anyways. I love this. Yeah. So I grew up kind of like not really fitting in. And I was like, the way I fit in was like make jokes and make people laugh. So I grew up like a clown, kind of like I was the juggler guy in yeah. classrooms. Right. So that was elementary. And then that kind of developed into a personality trait, yeah. which is being funny and making people laugh, which, which I do now. Which you still do today, yeah. But all, now I have like almost a zero filter. Yeah. We actually talked about what I can and can't <laughs> I was say. like, Benjamin, I need you to behave on this, <laughs> on this podcast. So when I was 20 years old, we went down to Mexico, which I used to go down and I love to dance. And my wife now, Samo, and I, she is an amazing dancer. And she has taught me how to really let loose on the dance floor. But <laughs> before I met her, I just danced normally. But now I dance wildly with her. And it's really fun. <laughs> but so I would go down to Mexico and I would dance because you can go down there when you're 16, 17 years old. So I'd go there and drink and party and do my little dance thing. And on the way back, when we're coming back, it was me and my brother and then two other guys and myself. And we were coming back from Tijuana and it was probably one or two in the morning. And obviously we were pretty trashed. And I was yelling. It was when Lincoln Park first came out in 2001. <laughs> and if you know Lincoln Park, you know yeah. that that was a banger. <laughs> like December 2000, like January 2001. This is peak Lincoln Park season. Oh, yeah. yeah. It was like, it was like Sublime was kind of fading out. Lincoln Park was popping in. <laughs> we had a Chevy Silverado lifted, but it was a California lift, which no one knows besides California. 
if you don't know California lifts, the front of the trucks lifted six inches and the back of the trucks lifted four. So it's kind of uh, like, and okay. they make it because it's like pre-runners. Anyways, long story short, we were leaving the parking lot that we paid for on the American side and we were just yelling out the window. We were drunk and being stupid and we were like, what up guys? But we were cussing and like, yeah. just being stupid. And this group of five guys come up to our truck and there's five of us in the car, but only four of us got out. So they pulled up to our truck. They were like five feet away and they told us to get out of the truck. So we did. And we ended up getting in a fight. And one of my friends, Jason, almost killed this guy. Like mm -hmm. the guy, he hit him with a traffic cone. Yikes. Like damaged yeah. his face pretty bad. And I admitted to kicking the guy one time and punching him. But he also got me in a headlock and punched me. He actually approached me and punched me. And then I punched him. And then he got me in the headlock and started beating my face. And my buddy Jason got him off of me. Long story short, Jason took a traffic cone and hurt him really bad, like a sledgehammer, hit him over the head. Yeah. Messed him up. So we leave there. We're like, let's get out of here. This is a crazy fight. This was not, this is not what we planned on doing. We were just trying to like just be wild, crazy teens. Yeah. And so we leave. And a week later, these private investigators were like looking for us. And they called Jason. They called the sister actually. And they were like, hey, we're looking for your brother and his friends. Which I was like, how'd you guys find us? That was wild. Yeah. But either way, I found that they were looking for us. So I, like a good American citizen, <laughs> turned myself in. And I was like, hey, you guys are looking for me? I'll, I don't mind giving my side of the story. So I go to this police station and they're like, hey, you're under arrest for attempted murder, mayhem, conspiracy to commit whatever, and like <laughs> seven other felonies. Yeah. And I'm like, I was just here to give my side of the story. And they're like, no, you're going to jail. And so I was going to go to Denny's after that or Waffle House, whatever it was. And they arrested me and I had to go to jail. And I told my parents, I was like, hey, I'm in jail. Like, I'm going to prison probably. And so that was 16 months that I spent in jail, like trying to fight this. I raised $25,000 for my family and grandparents, trying to fight it. And I was like, guys, I was just there. Mm -hmm. I just kicked him one time and hit him one time, but I had nothing to do with the main like assault on this guy. Like, I, right. you know, long story short, the judge gave me five years in prison because I, my attorney told me you should confess to no contest. Mm -hmm. Like, don't fight this, don't take it to trial, which I later found out that was just my attorney not trying to go to trial and save money. So I said no contest at my hearing and the judge was like, well, you know, when you plead no contest to attempt to murder, it holds a minimum sentence of five years. And I was like, wait, what? I thought I was going home. And, and your like, attorney never told you that? Never told me that. And I gave him 25,000. And so I was like, cool, cool, cool. I'm going to prison for five years. So I remember sitting in the holding cell after my sentencing and I just sat there and I remember the, the craziest thought I ever had. It was like, oh, that's four Christmases, mm. five Christmases. And that's when it really hit me. I was like, I'm going away for a long time. So anyways, so I go to, I go to jail first and I'm trying to fight it. And my grandpa who's passed now, he came and saw me and he was like on fire for God. This dude used to pass out tracks at Burger Kings when he would order like, he'd be like, let me get the number one. And then here's the, the Lord. <laughs> <laughs> and so he'd pass out tracks. I need this and you need this. Yeah. Let me get a number one. My grandson wants number two. And then here's a track about Jesus Christ. And I'm like, okay, father God. So my grandpa did that. And I knew that he was like a pretty instrumental piece to our family as a believer. And so... He came and saw me in jail and he was like, hey, Ben, you realize that God's chasing you. And I was like, eh, okay. 
And at the time, I was like, I was like going to church, but also doing cocaine at church. Yeah, yeah, at church. At church. Okay. Like the youth group, I would like leave to the baseball field oh, and go no. do cocaine. Okay. Yeah, I know. Well, that was that was me. <laughs> that was you. Yes. But my grandpa came. He's like, God's chasing you. And I was like, okay, cool. So that was on a Saturday, and then Sunday he comes back and he's like, hey. And he was he was like super aggressive with his, his approach towards me and like awaking me to this moment. He was like, this is your moment. Mm -hmm. Like, this is your chance to really turn this whole thing around. You barely turned 21. I've been telling you about this thing your entire 21 years. And this is your one chance to turn this whole thing around. But he didn't really say it like that. But I that's what I picked up from him talking. Yeah. And he, I remember him sitting behind the glass and we had the phone up to our ears. And he was like, God's chasing you. And I would just encourage you to invite him into your problems right now. And like everyone talks about like getting saved and like giving your life to the Lord, and like going to the altar, like that's cool. And that's kind of churchy. And like, I support that, but also like I support this messy, sloppy style too, Yeah, which is like invite God into your problems. It doesn't matter if you're the squeaky churchy thing. We all have problems, right? Like that applies to you. I don't care if you're at the altar or in prison or jail at the time. Like, that is one of the most profound things I've ever heard in my entire life. Just invite God into your problems. And so when he said that, I really like, I was like, oh, okay. So I don't have to like pray the sinner's prayer. Mm. I got to invite him into my problems because obviously I had big problems. Right. I was like, I'm getting ready to go to prison, dude. Yeah. <laughs> so I remember praying. And, he, and so I, he's like, put your hand on the glass. And so I put my hand on the glass, had the other hand up to my ear with the phone and I was just like, God, I just invite you to my problems. I had no idea how to pray, didn't know what I was doing. And I remember, I remember leaving that moment and just thinking, holy crap, I feel so much better. Wow. Just realizing that I have a person on my team now because mm -hmm. I felt super alone. Yeah. And so I remember going back to my cell and at the time there was 20, there was probably 20 cells in this jail cell and there's all, no, there's no outside windows. And I was in the C section or the C division or whatever. But I started inviting friends over. So in jail, they had three shifts. I think it was three. And it was eight-hour shifts. Okay, eight, six, and 24. Yeah, eight-hour shifts. So every eight hours, there was a transferring of, of the team, right, of the yeah. guards. So at that time, it was like 3 o'clock. So it was like 4 o'clock transfer. And then from 4 to 12, that was a new shift. So at 4, we get locked down. Every inmate's supposed to be in their own cell, two inmates per cell. So in my situation, I started having people over at four o'clock for Bible study. <laughs> I would just bring them over like at 3.30 and then during lockdown, because we would eat lunch, we'd do day room, and then we'd have people over for the cell for like Bible study. But it wasn't Bible study because I had no clue what I was doing. I wasn't <laughs> trying to do Bible study. I wasn't reading like- What were you telling them? I was just telling them like about my life. I was like, guys- I literally was in a really crappy place and I feel so much better and I'm literally inviting God in my problems. And they were like, okay, well, what does that look like? I'm like, I have no idea, but I just know I feel such a peace. And this is very Christianese to say a peace no, over your life, true. but yeah. that's what it was now because I realized that. But back then I didn't know what it was. I just knew I felt, I felt such an amazing, like, I felt like it was a presence. Mm -hmm. I really felt like it was a peaceful presence over my life. Like I had direction and vision. I had purpose of what I was doing, which was I'm here for a reason. And mm -hmm. so I started telling them, you're here for a reason. The reason you're here is to invite God into your problems. Yeah. And so they're like, this is amazing. Let's keep talking. <laughs> and so I'd have like 15 dudes <laughs> in my cell. And the cell was like, I'm a pretty big dude. I'm six foot. 
I probably have like a four or five foot wingspan. So I can touch no, both. No, you have a six foot wingspan. What does that mean? Everyone has the same wingspan as their height. What? <laughs> did Where this? did you read this? No, it's true. You're today years old. Okay. That's true. You're, you have a six foot wingspan. Well, then my jail cell was six <laughs> feet wide. All right, cool. Wish you were there to tell me that back then. <laughs> so, okay, it was six feet wide yeah. and it was 13 steps, like paces, front to back. Okay. And so, right when you walk in, there's a metal door with a little slit of a glass window, probably six inches wide by four feet high. They could look in. And as soon as you walk in, you have a, this light in the corner of, of the ceiling, and then you have a toilet, a stainless steel toilet. Have you ever seen Breaking Bad? Uh, pieces of it. Okay. Not on purpose. Actually, but. actually, not Breaking Bad. Anyways, if you've ever watched any jail movie. No, I watched. Uh, we watched um, the Tattoo Guy one for a second. Prison Break? Prison Break. Okay. We watched that I, one for a second. Actually, so the most accurate prison movie I've ever seen is called Shot Caller. Okay. And so that's the most accurate California style, which I went to California prison. So like all prisons are different, but the movie Shot Caller, if you've ever seen it, you'll realize that's the most, you'll realize if you've been in prison. <laughs> well, based on your stories today, <laughs> right. but you'll be like, oh, wow, this is the most similar to what you experienced. Uh, yeah, it was. Yeah. So anyways, you walk in 13 paces back, you've got a stainless steel toilet sink combo. Right. Which I think people would actually appreciate these to have them in their house because like take a poop and then also wash your hands at the same station. <laughs> Isn't that how all bathrooms are? In no, like you got to get up and like wash your hands. Imagine turning around 180 and being able to wash your hands at the pooper. <laughs> okay. So then you walk in and you have this like metal flat seat fastened to concrete and then you have a stainless steel desk. And then behind that you have a bunk. You have two beds. That's it. For you and two people. For me and two for people. For you and one other person. Yeah. Or in my situation, for me and 15 other people. In this Bible study. In this Bible but study. But you didn't like sleep like that. No. We, yeah, that yeah. would be weird. <laughs> 16 dudes. We're not having a slumber party, Kaylee. <laughs> they don't love those. <laughs> yeah, we're not having a sleepover. Not doing Netflix and chill. <laughs> but they, you know what was crazy is we would, they would walk by and do their count and they wouldn't make us leave. So that's unheard of. It's unheard of. No correctional officers going to let 15 people be in a room. But what they realized is I was bringing peace to this entire mm -hmm. wing, which they never had. And the warden who is over the entire prison came up to me one day after like seven months of me holding these Bible studies. And he was like, I just want you to tell you something. I want you to know that this is the most peaceful this C wing has ever been wow. in my 20 years of working here. Wow. Just Billy Graham, Ben Pospisil well, in the corner. I didn't know what I was doing, though. I had no but clue. But I love that. I love just the raw, real, like, Jesus changed my life. Let me tell you about it. That is more effective than anything else. Like, that is why God tells us to tell our testimonies. Yeah. You know? And I was like, when I was going through my list of guests that I wanted, I was like, oh, I'm for sure having Ben. Like, there's no question. People need to hear this story. So you, at this point, you're in prison. No, jail. Okay, you're in jail. So, okay. so the difference between jail and prison is jail is where you prove to the public or the judge or the people that you're not guilty. Got Prison's it. where you go when they were like, nope, you're guilty, bro. Bye. Now, okay. because I pled no contest, which is the middle ground between guilty and not guilty, and I did that because my attorney who didn't want to go to trial said to do that. And he lost his license after that. He did lose he? his license, yeah. yes. So the Bible studies were in both. Though. You did them in jail and in prison. But I, I, they weren't really Bible studies. 
Yeah. That's the thing. I didn't know what I was reading. I didn't know the Bible. <laughs> I was an ex-cokehead. I love this. And so I was much. 20, I was barely 21 years old. So all I was doing was telling people we're here for a reason. And so we broke open the Bible and we discovered it together. Wow. So I was just winging it. I was like, let's read John 3, 16. <laughs> what does that mean? Classic. Yeah. I wasn't like, does anyone have anything on their heart they would like to talk about today? Right. <laughs> so because I pleaded no contest, I admitted to, in a roundabout way, very political way, to being guilty of attempted murder. Um, and because, all those other and seven And all the other seven felonies. felonies. And I didn't know that. And yeah, I know that's a terrible attorney. Terrible attorney. And here's the deal. Listen, for five years, I met people who said, I didn't do it. I was wrong. I was innocently, like, right. whatever. Cool. Listen, I did hit him. I did punch him. And I messed up. I shouldn't have done that, but he also was wrong. Right. But I shouldn't have gone away for it. I didn't try to kill him. Right. I was just trying to defend myself. I got hit in the head. So when I pled no contest to attempt to murder, the judge was like, because you pled no contest, you're going to prison for five years. And I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm supposed to go home today. He's like, nah, dude, you're going to prison for five years. So, but here's the cool thing. After meeting my grandpa, I had so much more purpose. Mm -hmm. And so now I'm going, okay, I'm going to the big, the big boy camp. And I'm going into this environment that I have no clue, absolutely no clue what this holds. Mm -hmm. And Cal, if you look up like the level of prison and politics that the United States has, California, New York, I think Texas, and like maybe two or three other states are some of the most extreme prisons. Mm -hmm. And it was pretty intense. Like it was, it was, it wasn't pretty intense. It was insanely intense. Yeah, because you have entry-level white people, and I'm just talking from my from, yeah, from my race. what yours was like. Because it's very racial in prison. So you have entry-level white people, which are called Peckerwoods. That's what they call them. That's just what I was in called. In every prison or just in this one? In California prisons. Okay. It's Peckerwoods, which is, I don't even know where they came up with that. Yeah. I'm like, are, are these birds? What are we doing here? Are we like a, a break off from like a, what are, what are the birds called that? Woodpeckers? Wood, thank you. Yeah. I might like, like a woodpecker last brother. Last name first, first name last. Yeah, what are we doing here? So anyways, so they had the Peckerwoods, which I was like, okay, cool. Yeah. I guess I'm a Peckerwood. But also like I classified myself as a believer. I was like, I'm a Christian though. So, and that was the hardest thing to navigate when I first got there was like, how do I navigate as a believer? I don't know. No one's, mm -hmm. there's no consultants there. Like there's no Google. You don't like ask people, hey, yo, how do I navigate through these like really hardcore murderers that have killed people? Because I had attempted murder. So I was like really close to these murderers. Oh, wow. So I'm on level four prison, which the murderers who ki actually killed people were on. Yeah, wasn't Sirhan Sirhan there? Sirhan Sirhan. I also was there with um, Robert Dennett Jr. I wasn't yeah. there with him, but he left the prison like six months before I got there, but he apparently was a big handball player, um, <laughs> which whatever. I love handball by the way. Yeah. It's Anybody want to play handball? Let me know. <laughs> Hit him up. <laughs> <laughs> Hit me up. So that was one of the biggest things, but what was so cool was my grandpa still played a role and I don't know the role he played, but apparently he was like calling these prison officials trying to like locate me into the best prison. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, I never told you that. But I didn't know because that's because I don't know the level of influence he had. I don't. I didn't know. Mm -hmm. But apparently, my dad told me that grandpa was calling the California Department of Corrections (CDC). He was calling like the main corporate office and trying to get me transferred to all these different prisons. So I get to this prison called Chuckawalla. When you get to prison, 
you're asked what you did to get there by the whites or by whatever race you're there for. Yeah, explain to them like how, I didn't know this until you were telling me, just how segregated prison is. I had no clue. It's per state. So it's not, okay. like, so it's, this, is, this is not okay. nationwide. This is just, California prisons are so rough and so tough. Like it's segregated into races. So in California, it's Mexicans and, and whites together and then blacks and Asians together. And it's it's completely separate. Like even people are put in cells like that. Yeah, like, like, like for example, like when you walk to lunch, guards will not sit a black and a white at the same four seat table. And they're okay with you moving around to like make sure that that doesn't happen. And for me as a, as a believer, I was like, I can't tell this black guy I can't sit with them. Right. But I was told by the guys who were calling the shots that I had to sit with the white people. So I'm like, okay, so I'm just figuring this out. But I also believe in like loving everyone, but I guess I'm going to sit with this other three other Peckerwoods. So I got the chuckle wallet and they asked me, what did you do? How'd mm -hmm. you get here? And I told them that I was there and I was a part of a fight and they asked me for my transcripts, like, like my deposition when I was in the police office and I was sharing my story about what happened. And I told them that it was me and two other guys. Well, they classified me as a snitch because I told them that I was with two other guys. And they're like, oh, you snitched on your homeboys. And I'm like, I was just giving my story. Right. I was just sharing what happened. They're like, no, you told on them. And so then they're like, you're a rat. Oh, man. Yeah, right. I'm like, okay, cool. So what are we doing now about this? So now they're like, then they sent this guy named, oh, Rooster. Rooster. <laughs> <laughs> so they sent Rooster to come try to beat my beeps. Yeah. And I, I, he swung at me and I dodged it. And I was like, what's happening? He's like, you're going to get, you're going to get beat up until you leave here. So I was like, so I have to leave. And they're like, yeah, you need to leave because you snitched on your friends. So I got to this main prison at Chuckawalla. And as soon as I got there within like two days, I was already being threatened for my life. And I had to leave because I told, apparently, according to them, I told them my friends. And I'm like, I didn't tell on anybody. I just mm -hmm. shared the story of what happened that night. So they put me in the cell, in the holding cell, in the hole or the shoe or segregated housing unit, SHU. And I was there for six months. No. Yes. And you're an extrovert. That had to be And I'm an extrovert. And so I got to go to the yard, the outdoor yard, which is in a cage. If you watch the shot caller, they yeah. have a cage. It's the same size. And I did that two or three days a week. And I got a shower every other day. So in that time, though, this is where I really, really, really got super close to the Lord. Because I was like, I have nothing else to do but to read the Bible. Oh, wow. So I started, like, memorizing seven scriptures a week. So I started pacing back and forth, 13 paces, same size, back and forth. Every Monday I studied, I would read seven scriptures and memorize them for the week. And I would look forward to getting mail. And you know, the crazy thing is for the mail, I would smell the mail because I would smell the scent of like my family on it. It was really crazy. Yeah. So I could smell my mom's scent on like the mail she would write me, which is crazy. You don't think about that. Yeah. But so when I get it, I'd be like, I'd be like, oh, there's my mom's, like, that's what she's wearing. It was like cool waters by my dad. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so anyway, so that was six months in that cell. And then they finally transferred me to Corcoran, which is where Sirhan Sirhan was, Charles Manson, Robert Denner Jr. That's the one we drove by on the road. Well, yeah, we stopped there in the bus. Yeah, we stopped there on the bus. What happened? I don't remember. What was we it? We were playing stagecoach or something. And right, you came to stagecoach. Uh -huh, uh -huh. And we were going by the prison. 
And you were like, guys, this is where I went to prison. So we all got up that morning and like went to the front and just, we drove around. We, we yeah. didn't like go in or anything. No, but, but you, we and like, Ru- you and Russ were like, let's drive to the guard shack. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, let's do it. <laughs> I'm kind of getting flashbacks, but I'm down. And we pulled I up. I just wanted to see it. I'm like, so much of your life and your story. I was like, well, I want to see it. We were going right by it. So we did. It was so cool. And you know what? The guard like pulled up the, the guard shack and- Russell and I and Kales were in the front of the, of the bus. And who was the bus driver at the time? What was his name? Uh, Ricky, I think. Yeah, Ricky. And I was like, hey, just want you to know, I used to be here, but now I'm hanging out with my boys. <laughs> but now I'm on a tour bus and I got my life together. And yeah. you were, and the guy was like, congratulations, bud. Like he was like celebrating. He it. was super stoked. It was and you super know what? sweet. It is really cool. Like I, I'm kind of like, I've heard it, like, I've thought about this moment so many times, and so I'm kind of like, it's kind of old to me, but when I share my story, like, I mean, I, I think out of all of my friends in the entire world, you and Russ know the story in and out. More oh, yeah, than we're, we're going to write this book together. You can, I, you could literally recall this entire story. You started, like, when you would start to tell people, because this, this is, like, my favorite party trick. I'm like, Ben, tell your story. Yeah. Because I just like things that matter, right? Like, yeah. I don't want to stand around and talk about whatever is going on in the world. I'm like, let's talk about something awesome. Yeah, and there's times you've said something, and I'm like, nope, nope, that's not how you told it to me before. <laughs> Call I'm like, me that's, out. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, tell him about Michael. Tell him about Michael. Tell, tell him about Michael. <laughs> What'd you do to Michael? Did you hit him with a shank? <laughs> no, nope, you didn't. I did. You let him into Bible study. I did. We all know I'm obsessed with our little guy and want a bunch of kiddos, but that means having some answers when it comes to my fertility. So I used Modern Fertility. I got insight into my fertility without having to go to a doctor. Conveniently, I recently also got answers from my doctor that fully backed up what I learned through Modern Fertility, which is so good to know as I'm telling you guys in all transparency, I know this works. I tell all my friends about this company because I think it is so helpful to have the information available to us heading into starting our families or waiting to do so. Modern Fertility is an easy, cost-effective way to test your fertility hormones at home with a simple finger prick. Mail it in with a prepaid label and get your personalized results within 10 days. I think mine came even faster than that. You'll get insight into your hormone levels and other important fertility factors. The results go deep into what every hormone means, and you can also talk one-on-one with the fertility nurse to review your results and options for next steps. Having clinically sound info about your body can help you make the decision that's right for you. I know it sure has helped me. Traditional testing with your doctor can cost over $1,000, but Modern Fertility gets you the same info at $159, which is obviously a fraction of the price. If you go to modernfertility.com slash Kaylee, you can get $20 off your test. Right now, Modern Fertility is offering our listeners $20 off your test when you go to modernfertility.com slash Kaylee. That means your test will cost $139 instead of the hundreds or thousands it could cost at a doctor's office. Get $20 off your fertility test when you go to modernfertility.com slash Kaylee. Again, modernfertility.com slash Kaylee. Now to old Benny boy. So when I got to Corcoran, yeah. I got to the A-yard, and I started holding Bible studies like I was doing in the jail cell. Yeah. And so, But here's the crazy thing. If you imagine a baseball field, Home plate is the guard shack, okay? And there's three sections. There's first base, second base, and third base, okay? And they're separated with bars, and there's one and two stories. Watch Shot Caller, and you'll be able mm-hmm. to tell the different sections. And they had gates that would separate them in case of a riot, right? And there was four buildings in a yard, and I was in building A. So what we would do is we would go up to the second level and sit on the catwalk that went around the second story, and I would have Bible study up there. And all I would do, once again, I wasn't a 
I was I didn't go to seminary school. I didn't know what I was doing, but I I felt such a peace and a joy from the Lord in my heart that I was like, I just want to share this with people. I just want to tell people that you're here for a reason, and like, don't be depressed about where you are because there's purpose in life for you, mm-hmm. and like, you don't have to be depressed in this place. Like, you can actually be joyful. And I really was. I was so happy. I, I told people I was. Fully. I was like, I'm so excited to be here, and they're yeah. like, what? And I'm like, I'm just telling you, like, you're here for a reason. It's to slow you down and awaken you to a purpose. Like your purpose is not just to lollygag through life. Like you're here in life for a reason. There's a God who created you and like, this is why you're here. And like, did he make you come here? I don't think so. But is he willing to work this out for you and work it out for good? Sure. And so I had this Bible study, but once again, there's politics. So I started having this Bible study and only the whites and Mexicans would show up. But I had this really close friend, Michael, that I became super close friends with in church on Sunday. Because church is the only place in the entire prison where you can go and meet blacks, Mexicans, Chinese, everything. Wow. So I met this dude, Michael, and him and I hit it off so well. We were super close. He was like, yo, I'm I'm just going to show up to your Bible study. And I didn't tell him no. I was like, okay, I would love to have you. And I was like, oh, God, because I want you to understand something. Black people and white people in prison is a no-no. It's so messed up. It's not cool. And as a believer, and at that time, I didn't realize the impact of it. But as a believer, like I was like as a regular human person, as a human person. Yeah. But but even at the time, but, but this was just strictly politics. And at the time, I was like, that doesn't seem like okay. But I realized the power of the politics in California prison. I was like, I'm cool with that. Like, I'll respect that. Like, they'll kill you. Like, we're talking they will, like. They won't kill you at first, but they'll beat your beep, 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 beep. <laughs> right. So the main shot caller from my building was called Blockhead, which I'm like, okay, bro, cool name. And and they're lifers. They're lifers. These guys are 25 years. This is a level four prison. This is like attempted murder, murder. There's no like child molesters or like. Any like creepy stuff like that. They're all in like protective custody prisons. These are like guys who like shot someone, like made a mistake or didn't make a mistake, like actually intended to kill someone. So I was around those types of people. And I'm like, I've never been to prison. I've never been to jail. Like this is just like a one time night Mm. that I just drank and did some stupid stuff with some friends. And I just got caught up. And like here I am in California State Penitentiary at 21 years old, 22 years old, trying to figure out life. But I had, I literally felt God's presence in my life. And that's why I was doing what I was doing. And I was like, I want to tell you guys about the reason you're here. And so I was having this meeting and this dude, Michael, comes up from church. And I was like, please, God, tell me he's not coming up here. Not because I didn't want him there, but because I knew what what it was going to cause. And I remember him coming up the stairs to the second level. And there was about 15 of us sitting on the floor. And I was talking. I don't even know what I was talking about. And Michael's like, Hey, dog, is it cool if I sit down here? And all these Hispanics, all the whites look directly at me. Like, you know what to say. Mm-hmm. Like, make the call, make the right call. Because keep in mind, I wasn't just putting my life in danger. I was putting 15 other men's lives in danger yeah. because they're sitting there with them too. And I was like, yeah, you can sit. And I was like, dear God, please protect me. <laughs> yeah. And now here's the thing. During day room time, during like chill time that everyone's walking around, all the different races are all leaning against the second story guardrail watching everything happen. Mm. So all the main, there's only like three or four main shot callers in the building. The main guy's blockhead and there's like a yard main guy, but like the main building guy was blockhead. 
And he was this big old white dude. He was over the whole building. He, he could do whatever he wanted and get away with it. And even the guards recognized him as the guy. And so after I left to go back to my bed to kind of like drop on my Bible and like go get my food, whatever, it was like five, six o'clock in the afternoon. Blockhead was like, hey, Wood. They call you Wood, Peckerwood, short. And he's like, I just saw what happened with Michael. Like that, that can't happen again. And I was like, I looked at him. I was like, what am I supposed to do? Like we're having church. He's like, if you want to have church with other races, have church at church, but don't have it in the building because you're disrespecting us. And I'm like, okay. I just said, okay. And I walked away. And the next day I had Bible study. Michael wanted to join again. And he was like, and now it was like a thing. Now it was like, it was recognized. And so he sat down and I got up and I remember getting up from the Bible said the next day after he joined us, knowing I just got told not to let it happen again. And I was getting ready to walk down the stairs to go down the stairs across the day room and back up the stairs. So I was basically at second base. I was going to walk down the stairs in the day room up the third base to my room. And the guys were at the third base handrail looking over the day room. And I remember I was going to walk down the stairs and I felt like the guy was like, walk around, like on the top, on the second level, walk past him. Because if I would have walked down and back up, I would have skipped him. But I really felt like God was like, walk past him, like look them in the eyes and pass them. And I was like, this was one of the most scary moments in my life. Yeah, because they could have thrown you over the railing. 100%. And they would have been justified in prison terms or in, in like the prison politics for doing it. And I totally could have just been like killed. And I remember walking past him and I was like, I felt like God was like, look them in the eyes. And I stared at all four of them. And these were the main dudes in the entire yard. And I stared at them and I didn't say anything to them. I just walked past them. And I just nodded like, how you doing? How you doing? Mm. And I walked past them. And after that day, they never said a thing about Michael joining me for Bible study. It was like hands down the coolest moment in my life, yeah. at least in prison. <laughs> at least in prison. <laughs> I, I'm obsessed with that story because like you just weren't afraid. You weren't afraid. I mean, you probably were, but you chose like the fearless route of like, I'm going to combat. I'm going to go after this thing that I know is the right thing. And it could actually kill me. Well, I just, I just didn't know what to do. Right. But you, but you still did it. Like you still chose the hard thing. And I think that yeah. is so powerful. Like you chose the right thing, the hard thing. Mm -hmm. And you had a whole ministry in prison. It's so wild. Like the, the whole story, it's so foreign not a lot of us have friends who like have been to prison, you know? Like, yeah. And appreciate like, you guys bringing me into the fold. <laughs> but like you, you're a real life, like Joseph, like you had favor with God and man in prison and, and yeah. he elevated you like he did with Joseph. Yeah. And I want you to tell him that stuff. I think it's so fascinating. Like what it's like to go from like passing out sheets to, to mail room to like head chef, like, those okay. are big deals. So this is where it got really fun. So I had two and a half years of my five-year sentence left. And I knew there was a yard, yard F and yard G at the same prison that was taking on, it was a substance abuse yard, which basically in the California state prison, if you're just in prison for like substance abuse, you get to go to these really low key, low politic, kind of like this is where I'm going before I get out of prison prisons. Okay. It's like the creme de la creme of prisons. If I could say that. All right. It's like, <laughs> if you're in prison, you want to be on these yards. Yeah. Okay. It's like the country plush. club. Plush. Yes. And, and what makes it plush is like the politics are reduced. 
there's not really the black and white kind of thing. I mean, there still kind of is, but like the people who are on this yard have two years or less to get out. They're all trying to behave really well and they all want to go home and do well. So huh. like you don't have the gangs influencing these yards. It's more of like a, yo, I'm trying to get out. I understand I'm from a gang, but I'm also not trying to be a gang on this yard. I'm trying to like actually just be a good person. Right. And to be clear, you were not in any gangs. I was not. I was in the Lord's gang. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, so in order to be on this yard though, and this is where I think my grandpa played a role because in order to be on this yard, you had to be a substance abuser. Well, nothing a part of my case had anything to do with substance. I wasn't doing drugs. I wasn't yeah. drinking. But my grandpa called me one day and he visited me when I was in the A yard. And he was like, did you drink in Tijuana? And I was like, oh, yeah, I was drunk when I came back. He's like, so you're an alcoholic. And I'm like, I, I am an alcoholic. <laughs> and so he called the warden of Corcoran. And said, wow. my grandson's an alcoholic and he needs substance abuse treatment. And so they transferred me to F yard. Wow. I did not know that. Yes. And so guess what? Your boy <laughs> went to F yard, which is where Robert Downey was. I played wow. the same handball court he played. So here's what's crazy. As soon as I landed on F yard, the only cell available. Okay. So, so picture this. There's probably one, two, three, four, five. There's six cells up top. Each of the cells have six beds, okay? So there's 36 beds up top. And there's six there's six rooms up top, six rooms downstairs. So up on top there's six rooms, 36 rooms, 36 beds. Downstairs there's six rooms, but there's one room that only has four beds. So four single beds on the floor. There's no bunks in the sixth room downstairs. It's the VIP room. Okay? In order to get there, everyone that's on the yard only has two years to be there. You can't be there for seven years, 10 years, whatever. You have to have a minimum of two years or less to be there. So in order to get that room, you've got to spend your two years working your way to that room. As soon as I got to F yard, I was in the four wow. bed room. I went right in there. My bed was a day bed. I had no bunk bed. And so like even the, my roommates were like, how'd you get here? I'm like, I have no idea. No clue. And they're like, nice. Okay. Well, guess what? The guy who became my best friend, but his name was Hawk. He was a Native American and he was getting ready to get out. He had like one month left. I got 24 months. So I meet Hawk and Hawk is like, hey, I'm going to prep you for the cook, the lead cook in the kitchen. Now there's a thousand inmates on this yard and Hawk is over them. So he is responsible for making the pre-designed meals or whatever you want to call it. Like they already have like Sunday through Saturday, it's the same meal every week, okay? So, but his job is to put him in the heaters, heat them up, cook the beans, cook the rice. So like Monday morning, we'd have like tacos. So we'd have like corn tortillas with rice, beans, and like pico de gallo with like soybean meat, whatever. It was disgusting, by the way. Oh. Tums would make a killing if they had Tums. <laughs> <laughs> but he was like, hey, do you want to be a cook? Because like there's a bunch of jobs you can have and it's like under 50 cents. Like everything is under 50 cents an hour. So it's like, I think the number one job was to be the warden secretary, which was like 55 cents. But like, that's really political. It's kind of lame. You got to do a bunch of typing. And that's like, no one this wants that. This is not that. Ben's vibe. This is not, no, not social, my vibe. Yeah. Corporate vibe, negative. <laughs> but if you want to be a cook, you're over a thousand inmates. So he's like, if you want to be a, if you want to take my job, I'm leaving in 30 days. I'll train you for this. And so I was like, Okay, dope, let's do it. So as soon as I got there, within one month of my two-year 
remaining sentence, he trains me to be a lead cook. And this old lady who was, she was like a third party manager of the kitchen. She didn't work for the prison system. She was like a chef, but she worked for the, she worked for the prison system, but wasn't in it. She was just like the consultant for the show, so, but she like was there every day, every morning. So I'd get to work at 4 a.m. and I'd leave at 8 a.m. and I would make breakfast, but I was the assistant. And so once Hawk left, I took over. Well, guess what? The prison allows the cook to take two full brown lunch sacks, okay, and two trays back to my cell. Nobody else in the entire prison can do that except me. That is amazing. So no one else can bring food back from the kitchen because it's considered contraband, right? Because if you start bringing apples back from the kitchen, you can make liquor, right? Oh, I yeah. didn't know this. Oh, yes. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> At the time, I wasn't drinking. <laughs> I can keep going, keep going. So I start bringing trays of food back because I'm hungry. Now, I get off at eight, which is when the guards change shifts. So the new guards start from eight and they work till four o'clock. So I start bringing food back to the guards and they start loving me. They're like, Ben, what up? They start clicking. They're like, yeah, 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 let's go. And I, start, I bring them back breakfast and I make them these big fat trays of food. Well, so I start getting favor with these guys. And they're like, hey, when we go on lockdown, which happened literally every other week because of a fight or a threat or whatever. Also, side note, when prisons lock down, they go under high security and they the guards make three times pay. Oh. Yeah, so they go from making 25 bucks an hour to $75 an hour because- so they're stoked about. Correct. Yeah. They want any kind of issue to cause a lockdown. Got it. So yeah. it happens all the time, mm -hmm. and you never know as an inmate how long it's going to last. So for me, I'm cooking. I know I get off at 8 in the morning. I work seven days a week. I'm bringing in food to the guards. I walk up. I'm bringing two fat trays to both of my guards, and they became best friends to me. Like, we loved each other. I was like, can you help me get out of here? <laughs> Please. <laughs> Please, Lord. But you know what? So I started bringing food to these guys, and they would bring like Golf Digest magazines in, which I, thought, I loved golf because I was a golfer. You're currently in golf attire because you just golfed with my husband before I did. This. And I actually used your clubs, which I suck. Chick sticks, that's what I call <laughs> Chick sticks. when the boys borrow my clubs. They're great clubs, but they I, are great clubs. I should not be swinging those. No, no. You're too um, strong, Ben. You're too strong. Oh, <laughs> Stop. Actually, keep going. No, but you know what? So I started bringing them back food. And so he would he would legit be like, you want a Golf Digest magazine? And now you can't get like, subscriptions. Uh, yes. You can't get subscriptions to magazines in there, period. Right. So yeah. he'd start giving me subscriptions. And then what started happening is they were like, every Tuesday, we have sheets delivered, new sheets. So imagine you're sleeping in your bed. Every week, you get new sheets. Wouldn't you want a brand new crisp sheet from the bag? Yes. Right? Like, 100%. Like, like Kardashian level, <laughs> like you're opening up new bags. So, well, here's the deal. When you go to the laundry, they would do 50-50. So if you have a 1,000 inmates, they would give you 500 brand new sheets and 500 used sheets. And now each building gets whatever 500 divided by three is, or 1,000 divided by three is. What, three, whatever, what is that? 30, 333. 30, 330. So, but my job was to sort them out in the laundry and bring them to my building. So I'd have... 333 brand or well half of that would be brand new half of that would be used so i would divide the brand new and have it on one side of, the, of, of my little plastic container i was pushing 
have the used ones on one side on the other side. And so my, I started hustling and making money off of the brand new sheets. So it was like five bucks for a brand new sheet because you don't, you don't just get entitled to a new sheet. Right. And now here's the deal. You're la- an you're, entrepreneur. You're probably laughing because you're thinking who gives a crap about no, a new sheet? No, I'm laughing because it's you and you're just innately an entrepreneur. Like who else would think to make a side hustle out of crisp sheets, but you. <laughs> who doesn't want a Krispy Kreme or a crispy sheet? <laughs> Everybody wants both. Hot so, ready. So I'd keep the crispy ones on the right and the crappy ones on the left. And if you were crappy to me, I would give you the crappy sheets. And if we were friends or you owed me a favor, I'd give you the good sheet, but you'd also have to pay me for it. So I was literally the main guy from my building C. Like I passed out all the sheets. And so I'd make like at least $200 per week just off of new sheets for the inmates. That is great. Wait, so were you head chef at this point also? Head chef. Now I'm head Just sheet master hustling, out there hustling, Benny P. And the guards were, they were my favorite and they loved me. I was like, they're like, Ben brings me breakfast. We're good. Ben's doing all the fun things. <laughs> okay. The here most accurate here was the coolest part. Okay. So I'm still in the four bedroom suite, right? At the Hampton Inns, <laughs> Hampton and Express. And when lockdowns would happen, which was every other week for maybe a week at a time, right? So you'd have a week of lockdowns. Imagine you're in a cell maybe a thousand square feet, probably two times the size of this room, which is probably a, a 20 by 20. So you're, you're talking 400 square foot room for a week where you'd have to use the bathroom together. You'd have to like, you're not coming out. You're getting food to your room. That's it. So for me, because I was friends with the guards, I'm the only person that was allowed to have my door open. And then they were like, do you want to start passing out mail during lockdowns? This is maybe like two months in my 24 month sentence. So I got like 22 months left. Now they want to start having me pass out mail. Now I'm doing a federal, whatever that is, <laughs> right? Yeah. I'm like a mailman, but I'm walking around the different cell. I didn't leave my unit, which was a C unit. I didn't leave that. So I had, you know, probably 72 inmates. So I'd sweep, I'd pass out mail. And then I'd be able to sit in the day room. I can use the phone. I can make calls, and no I can shower. And then my roommates, my roommates, my other three guys were able to come out too because I had favor with the guards. Wow. And I was like, hey, can my guys shower real quick? And like, of course. So now my three inmates, they were like, we love you, Ben. You're the best. <laughs> yeah, Benny's the best. Benny B. <laughs> and they would have me pass out mail. And so guess what? During mail pass out, I'd make friends with all the inmates because I'd be, I'd be bringing items because they'd slip them on the door. And so I, whatever can fit on the door, I'd pass out for you. If you want to get your homeboy a magazine and pass them off to the other guy, I'd walk it from your cell to the other guy's cell and I'd bring it over to him. I couldn't get you out and let you shower, but I can like pass things out like new yeah. sheets, new books, magazines, food, whatever. Like my roommates were able to come out and use phones, use showers for hours. Amazing. We're talking like five, six hours a day. And then this is where the creme de la creme job happened. So then the guards were like, hey, we want you in the package room. And I'm like, what is that? And they're like, every 90 days, inmates can have packages sent from their family to the prison through our third party vendor. So this family, for, so for example, if you have a member in prison and your, your family member wants some, some items like a guitar, a Bible, clothes, food, whatever, every 90 days, you can order them a massive package that whatever can fit in this box that they give you that you order from. Whatever can, I think it's a 30 pound box. Whatever can oh, fit wow. in the 30 pound box, you can have every 90 days. But you have to order it through a third party vendor, which is, I think it was called Walking Horse. 
W A L K E. In case any of you are trying to send a package to someone. Right. Actually, call me. I'll help you out. <laughs> but you can buy like like see through TVs, like like small little twelve oh. by twelve TV. I mean, it was, it was like it was dope. I mean, you could spend five grand easy. Oh geez. If you wanted to. Yeah. So my grandpa sent me a guitar, and I learned how to play guitar in prison. Mm. Like my first song was. Knock, knock, knocking on heaven's door. I do which not I know. cannot stand that kind of music. Anyways, <laughs> the worship music. No, is? no, no. This is like ACDC or something like that. Oh, but it was uh, like it, it was like I mean, it was like. Aren't they a Christian band? ACDC. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally, dude. <laughs> yeah, ACDC is going after I God. Thought, I thought DC talk is what I, I translated <laughs> in my brain because I was like, oh, it's a worship band. <laughs> <laughs> no, so so. So oh my, my grandpa sent me this guitar. So let's pause on that because I want to talk about that, about the guitar. Yeah. But I want to talk about the package house. So so there's only one inmate out of a thousand that are in this room with the guard. And the, the inmate is opening the package, dumping out its contents, and distributing them to the guard as the guard is passing them through a chain link fence with bars to the inmate whose family sent him that item. Now, what the guard is doing is sorting out the items because the family can send items in that package, include them from their own personal, but the guard has to filter out which ones can and can't be yeah, there. Yeah. So they can order through walk-in house, but they can also send in their own items. But these guards, like if you send a book, for example, and they have book, like hard book covers, they'll slit the book covers open and look for drugs and stuff. So like, oh, wow. oh yeah, so they'll rip your whole covers off and you'll get just get the pages. And that's just common. Like, oh, so wow. I actually still have books in my house that have no covers. I love that. That's kind of cool. Well, guess what? They would get like shoes and stuff sent that were like blue or red. And like the biggest thing that you can't send besides drugs are like colors because you got Crips, Bloods, blah, blah, blah. Jeez. Well, guess, guess who wore blue shoes in the yard? <laughs> Your boy Ben. <laughs> so I'm walking around cripping and blooding oh, and I'm no. just... <laughs> I'm over here holding Bible studies That's too. That's not funny. This whole thing, I mean, you can include that because it's very you, but I'm like, this whole thing is so wild to me that, that like, that's a real thing that there's just people who hate each other this much. I know, you know, it's crazy. Taking one last quick break to tell you about one of my favorite new additions to my countertop. We all know cleaners can be wasteful and unattractive on the counter, but not anymore. Grove has beautiful and effective products for your home that aren't harmful for you or the planet. Grove Co.'s concentrated cleaners and refillable glass bottles are friendlier to the planet and twice as effective as the leading natural brands. You can use sustainable products for every room in your home, from laundry care, hand soaps, and more. Grove Co. has you covered with safe formulas and refillable packaging that never compromise on performance. Join over 2 million households, including mine, that have started shopping sustainably at Grove. Did you know that only 9% of plastic actually gets recycled, no matter how much you put it in the recycling bin? At Grove Collaborative, they believe it is time to ditch single-use plastics for good. Grove carries hundreds of products that are aimed at replacing single-use plastics across your home and personal care routine. And by 2025, Grove will be 100% plastic-free, which is incredible. There are so many products from Grove that I love to use, but one of my absolute favorites is for sure the refillable glass countertop spray bottle and the small concentrated cleaner that you use to refill it. I use it all around our house. I first chose them for their aesthetic, and now I choose them because they actually work great and they're pretty on the counter, and they're helping the planet. So go to grove.com CWK today to get a free gift set worth up to $50 with your first order. Plus, shipping is fast and free. It is so fast, honestly. Get started right now at grove.com slash CWK. 
That's grove.com slash CWK. Now back to Ben. So as I started building up this reputation on the yard, people started respecting me because I can get you sheets. I can get you magazines when we're locked down. I can make sure you can get out of your cell if you needed to, because I, I did have a couple get out of jail free cards for my friends that like wanted to get out and shower or like use a phone when they were locked down. And lockdown happened all the time. That was the most common occurrence. It was almost as common as going to the yard every day. I mean, it happened all the mm -hmm. time. You were constantly locked down. And it would happen sometimes for a month. You'd be locked down for 30 straight days in your cell. You'd only get out to use the phone and shower for like an hour. It was crazy. So when I'm over these packages, I'm like picking out these items out of this box and getting to keep them. Now here, like if you think about biblical times, look at Joseph. Joseph was like in prison. He was in Egyptian prison. And like, what did he do? He started translating dreams for Pharaoh. Yeah. And like, he was like a useful tool for this guy. And he like literally ended up saving the children of Israel from right. starvation. Right. He was like, yo, it's getting ready to be a famine. You need to start saving the seed. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And then he was like, oh, here's my brother. Like, let's hook them up. Let's keep them from dying. Yeah. So anyways, that happened and it was just such a cool time. I was passing out mail and then like the main yard pastor, like, so I had probably 16 months left of my 24 month sentence and the main pastor of the yard, who was a lifer, mm. who managed to get like out, he managed to like win his appeal oh, wow. and get out. He had 25 years to life and he managed to get out because they did a DNA test and was able to like release him. And wow. he was the yard pastor. He was there for two years, but he was wrapping it up. But he was a, a pastor for a previous yard when he got his appeal. So when he landed on my yard, he was getting ready to leave. And he had like maybe a month left like Hawk did. And he asked me, he's like, do you want to preach? Hmm. And I'm like, I don't know how to preach. I don't know like what I'm doing. And he's like, I was like, but I can play guitar because my grandpa sent me a guitar through the package, mm. through the package window. And so I learned how to play guitar and I started playing music for the yard. Like I started playing music for, we had 50 inmates a night meeting us at the base. We had a baseball field and you could rent bats and balls and like play baseball, which is kind of cool. They would give you like balls to play handball and you could play volleyball. They gave you bats, but they kind of kept a watch on it. And they gave you these. Right. They I was gave, like, this is surprising to no, me. No, I know, I know. But it's also, the, this is the reason why you want to be in this yard because there's right. like, you're a drug abuse offender. You're mm -hmm. not like a prison convict doing yeah. politics. So like this is one of the perks of being here is you get to play softball. So they would give you actual softballs, not the hard ones. And because they would fly super far and go in the prison yard and you'd have to like, you wouldn't be able to get them. So every night we had these bleachers and they would hold up to 50 inmates. And so every single night there'd be 50 people here trying to like hear about the Lord, hear about life and like being a convict, but also like, trying to figure out like, what does it mean? Why am I here? What am I doing with my life? And like every single night, there'd be 50 people there. Wow. And so this pastor, this guy, the, the main dude who started this whole thing, asked me if he's like, do you wanna play guitar? Do you wanna like actually play some songs and like lead us in, in singing and worship? And I'm like, yeah, I got my guitar. So like, the only chords I knew were all the major chords. If <laughs> Russell, if you're hearing this, you'll- He's gonna hear this. Yeah. So it was like just all the majors. I've and, heard you play guitar many a time and you're actually very good. You yeah, I'm, good, I'm, good. I'm waiting for Russell to call me for BGVs. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you know what? 
So I started playing like my, so my sister, she started sending me songs from her church that she went to. So she'd send me the chord charts for all the songs, which was super helpful. And so I would like have like 50 sheets that I'd print off from the law library and I'd play these songs for all these inmates. And my sister would be like, this is how this one goes. And I'd call her and be like, how does this melody go? And she's like, it goes like this. And so I like learn the melody and like learn it on the phone. And I'd go that that night, I'd practice it and go play it. And I'd teach these people how to sing these worship songs. And then they were like, do you want to start preaching? And I think like the pinnacle of me speaking about the Bible was me teaching about the Exodus, the children of Israel from from Egypt all the way to the promised land and like understanding like how that went. But I spent, I think I've spent like six weeks teaching these guys about like leaving Egypt, moving into the promised land. And also here's something cool. This is really cool. Like when you think about the children of Israel, you think about baptisms, like they got baptized in the Red Sea, but they also got baptized in the Jordan. And mm-hmm. so when you start thinking about the spiritual significance of that, like that's a big deal. There's two different baptisms. Yeah. Yeah. Right? You preach on it, bro. So anyways, I got a whole lesson. And for $39.95. <laughs> <laughs> but so anyway, so I just, I just like, I started learning about that. And I just started sharing like, and I was literally winging it. I had no clue. What I, I still didn't have a clue what I was doing. I still hadn't ever been to church. Mm. This was just me being in jail, being in prison, just reading the Bible and like figuring out like, I'm here for a reason. Like, I'm not just alone in this world trying to figure it out. Like, I have a helper who is the Holy Spirit that lives inside of us mm-hmm. that strengthens us and encourages us. And, like, we don't have to be distraught. We don't have to be weary and tired. Like, we have the option to have this overflowing joy, overflowing peace, overflowing presence of the Lord that literally is free. You just engage Him and it just overflows. Yeah. And when I realized that, which it took me the entire time in prison, when I realized that, I was like, wow, that's what got me through. And you know what's crazy? Like, okay, when you look back at memories, you think like, you only remember positive things. Okay, so I get that. Okay, I, I had hard times. I think, I think a lot of people remember just negative things too. True. I think there's two sides to that, but keep going. But like when you look back in your life, you're like, oh, all the good times. Like when you go on vacation, you're like, oh my God, I got to move there. (laughs) Like this was the best time. You're like, okay, you don't remember like being sweaty and like not having fun and not being fed. But like when you look back, when I look back at prison, like I remember like, yeah, okay, it was terrible, but like not really. I actually was super joyful. Hmm. Like I made so many friends. I had so much favor. I had so many opportunities. And like people would come up to me and be like, why are you laughing? Why are you smiling? Why are you happy to be here? Mm. And I was like, because I, I have a reason I'm here. Mm-hmm. There's a reason I'm sitting here. Mm-hmm. And there's a reason. And I think we get in this life when we realize that like we're so torn up and like we get so caught up in the things of this world and we get so caught up in like the crappy things that happen. But like at the end of the day, we realize that we have access to joy. I was telling my wife today, I was like, babe, don't forget. Cause like I'm, we're, I'm working in another state right now. So like we're separated for like the next month and like it's not fun like we we're best friends like i love her so much she's the best she's the we best we love you sammo yeah we love you babe Mwah. um <laughs> like it's not fun being away from your best friend like that and like i just reminded her and reminded myself like we have access to overflowing joy peace mm. all those things and like i think that's what sustained me through that moment in prison for five years was like i had access to stuff that everyone has access to. Mm. Like, it's not just, but I don't think we realize that. Yeah. I really don't. 
I think the world, like when I say the world, I think people who are not aware of this, like you have access to joy and peace. And like, you can literally live a life of overflowing to where, and this is what I was telling Samuel today, my wife, is that like the Bible talks about like things overflowing. Okay. So when you think about something overflowing, you think about waste. That's what I think about. Mm. I think about things being wasteful. Why would I fill up a water bottle and make it overflow? That's wasteful. Like I only need a little bit, right? I only need a cupful. Yeah. I don't need an overflowing cupful. Right. But when you think about that and you think about God's goodness, like the reason it overflows is for other people. Mm-hmm. It's for the people around you. And so like if you're in an environment where like you're not overflowing and you have nothing to offer, like that's where I think we need to realize that like we're supposed to be so bubbling over that mm-hmm. other people are being given light. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. That other people are being filled with your overflow, right? Like, yeah. But I, my hope is everyone around you is also overflowing that they don't need it, but that's just not the truth. Like, right. that's not how life is. There's people around us who are thirsty and that's why they need the water, you know, like living water is the only thing that can satisfy the soul in my opinion. And that's a reference God makes all the time. Like Jesus is like, I am living water and that is what satisfies the soul. Yep. And so the more you're filling yourself with that, and, and it seems like that's your own effort. It's it's not your own effort, it's your own choice. Mm-hmm. Being like, God, I want you to do mm-hmm. it, right? I want you to come and do this yep. in my life, and I want you to fill me. It's like so simple. It's not this big over-spiritualized thing, and but it's a conscious choice. That's why it's a flow, right? Mm-hmm. Like you have to engage. You can't just like overflow once and be like, I'm good for the rest of my life. Yep. I can't have a date night with my husband once and be like, so we're good. <laughs> Right, You know, like it's a constant relational exchange, Yep. but you're right. It's, it is an overflow. And I want to say as your friend, you are all of those things. Like it is, I love this story so much because I think it's so redemptive and it doesn't matter what you've done, who you are. You've done cocaine and got stabbed in the neck in Mexico, which you didn't even tell that story. That's none of me. I've never done that. (laughs) (laughs) Like you can be that person (laughs) right in the side of the neck. Yeah, you can be that person and there's nothing unredeemable. There's no one too far gone. There's, yeah, he can use anyone. Mm-hmm. He can use anyone. And I love this story so much because I know how much he's used you in my life. It's mm. not, I believe all of these stories so deeply because you've done that for us. Like you, we would sit around the table in the mornings and have Bible studies and not on purpose. You know, we would just yeah. like read and be like, hey, what's God showing you right now? And mm. what's, I'll never forget you said to us one time about the the dangers of we were like going to Vegas or something and you had had a pastor say to you everyone speaks death over places and they'll say Vegas is like this and California is like this or Texas is like this and people speak death over spaces and I was like you know what I'm not going to do that because I know there are strongholds over certain cities mm-hmm. like there are different things that the enemy has particularly placed over different places. Totally. I'm aware. I don't have to speak it. I don't have to confirm it. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to declare that over a place. And I'm not going to walk into a room and check the temperature. Mm-hmm. We're supposed to be thermostats. Mm-hmm. We're not thermometers. Yep. I, there's no point. Like where Jesus went, there was light. Yep. He didn't walk in being like, what room is dark and what room is not? And this, like you were in a very dark place. Mm-hmm. Well, and you set the temperature. You're well, like, you know what we're going to do here? We're going to have Bible study. And, and, and kind of jumping on what you're saying is like we set, like when you walk into a room, 
you can change the entire yeah. atmosphere. Like, and, and here's what- For like, good or bad. For good or bad. And something Samuel told me, like I was like, supposed to be at this wedding and I was like five hours late because my flight got delayed because Kamal Harris came to town and they locked the whole streets down. And so I was able to make it, but I was late. And my wife was like, babe, everyone's asking where you are. And I was just like, okay, that's cool. She's like, no, I think you don't realize that when you walk into the room, like you change the atmosphere. Yeah. And I think as believers and just as human beings, the goal of the presence of the Lord in our lives is that we can walk into rooms and we can literally take depression and remove it. Mm. We can take pain or, or whatever it is. Like the purpose of us being lights on the hill is that we can shine for people's footsteps and not trip. Come on. Right? Come like, on, like, Pastor like Pop. We, we have Pastor Poppy. <laughs> no, but you, like we could literally walk in a room. Like if you walk in a room and you're like, everyone here seems super lame. You could be. <laughs> no, I'm just saying like, like how many times you walked in a room, you're like, this place seems lame. Yeah. But like also at the end of the day, like you could respond like that and just be like, I'm just going to chill here and be quiet. Or how about we get this party popping and let's get everybody <laughs> super excited about life. Which that is you. If I could sum anything up, it is let's get this Ben pop pop in and make it fun. Well, we you and Russ are the same, and that's why you're best friends. We are the same. It's amazing that you can literally change the temperature of rooms. Like it's it's our job to do that as believers. Come on, to completely change the rooms, and so like we don't have to sit and be subject to what the environment is. We can change it. Yeah, coming from a guy who was in prison. Coming from a guy who's in prison. Yeah, I am just so proud of you and your story. I love you. And who you are. Pastor Pop is what I'm calling you from now okay. on when you deliver a good word. Because you Pop. always do. Like, you're so saturated in the spirit of God that, like, when I'm looking for, like, revelation, you always really bring it. And Thanks. our conversations about God are so fun and so deep. Yeah. They're so We've had so many good talks. So many good little Bible study things around the table and exactly what you're saying. Like we'd never meant to. You just that is who you are. You just carry that everywhere. Like you're not like, hey, so my Bible study's at five thirty. Like your life is that. And I love that God quite literally did the story of Joseph and like you were imprisoned Granted, you were a little more guilty than, than Joseph was. Shouldn't have hit him in the head. <laughs> My but, bad. You know, like, I just really believe that. Like, I think it's such a beautiful metaphor for your life. You know how everyone kind of is like, I relate to this one, or I relate, like, yeah, yeah. you're a Joseph, quite literally. And, like, you have interpreted a lot of things in our lives and brought a lot of wisdom and clarity to our lives in times we needed it. Like, you were mm. a part of one of the most, like, quiet seasons of our lives. Like we weren't busy. There was nothing happening. Ben actually was the one when you say, when I tell the story and Russ tells the story of filming the yours music video, Ben is the one who drove it. You drove our car. I drove the Armada. There were three people involved in the making of that music video. Me, Russ, and Ben. Ben drove the car. And interestingly enough, outside of the Nashville prison. That's interesting. Didn't, I actually forgot that. Yeah. Yep. There's a piece of your story I just remembered that you forgot. And it was the part, because, you know, I've heard this story so many times and I love it. You know all my stories. I know all the stories. And, well, when you went, so when Grandpa came and told you to invite God into your problems, Mm -hmm. it was actually, that was part two. Part one is you went to see him the day before. Mm -hmm. And he said, I think God's chasing you. And you're like, cool, cool. You went back to your cell and your roommate. Oh, I forgot about this. Was a wrongly imprisoned pastor. And his name was Angel. Angel. And he said what to you? 
He, wow. Good memory. No, I just love this story. I totally forgot about that. Good call. Okay. So, so on Saturday, Angel and I were roommates and grandpa came and saw me and we were in Vista, California at the County Correctional Facility there. And before I left to go see my grandpa, Angel was this wrongly imprisoned and wrongly accused pastor who like got out like the next day, legit. Like I literally saw my grandpa on Saturday. He got out Monday morning. Okay. They were like, oh, shouldn't be here. Bye. So Angel, like as I was leaving on Saturday, before I left, Angel was like, he's like, hey, I just want you to know, man, I really feel like I'm supposed to tell you like God's chasing you. And I was like, at the time I was just like, didn't believe in God, didn't know God had no conscientious feelings of God. Right. I was just like, cool, man. Thanks. Oh, cool. You're so sweet. Thanks. And so I was like, I went off and saw my grandpa and like, I sat there behind the glass on Saturday. And this was the day before I like prayed with my hand on the glass. My grandpa that day on Saturday, he was like, Hey, like it came. He said the exact same thing to me. And he was like, Ben, Angel said, Ben, I feel like God's chasing you. And I'm like, okay, I'm 20 years old. That's weird. I don't know what that means. And like I said, I grew up in church my whole life. Like I grew, like my parents were like, if you live, if you live here in this house, you're going to go to church. <laughs> and I'm like, that's weird. I can't have my own choice, but whatever. But then when I went on that Saturday to see my grandpa, my grandpa was like, Ben, I just want you to know, like God's chasing you. And I was like, what does that mean? Mm. What do you mean God's chasing me? Like what? It was like so, like at the time it seemed so Christianese, but when my grandpa said it, I was like, okay, so this is like some otherly worldly stuff yeah, happening. something's happening. Something's going on. And so I was like, all right, I'll give this a shot. And the next day on Sundays when he was like, let's uh, invite God into your problems. Yeah. I will hang my hat on that is one of the most profound things I've ever heard. And I couldn't agree more. So as we sign off with our friends here, love you. we love you. And we say, just invite God into your problems. Yeah. I need to do it. I've, I've done this a long time and I still need to be like, oh yeah, I don't have to figure this out without you. You can, you can help me. I can invite you in the midst of the hard stuff, mm. you know? And it doesn't have to, here's the deal. People think like I need help. Right. Cause, cause here's the deal. Being alone and being afraid and being stressed out are real things mm. like those are real things like yeah. you feel alone you feel afraid you've got your husband maybe like you're not making the money you want to make you're not living in the in, in the environment you want to live in your marriage isn't going as well you're you're working too much your your family's pushing you too hard whatever you're you're alone you're laying in your bed you're up till three in the morning because you can't sleep because things suck right life sucks yeah and whether you have all the options in the world and all the money in the world, or you don't have anything, at the end of the day, you have to have help. Mm. And you can look at your friends and hope that they have your back, but I promise you they won't. Most of them won't. Now, I know you, Kales, and I know you, Russ, if I called you, you guys would have my back. Oh, one million percent. One million percent. And that's only not but, the same but, of you. But, but also at the end of the day, you'll never, each of you, you and Russ, will never be able to fulfill what I need. Mm. you won't yeah it's true. You, you can and, and, and vice versa and so when you're in this moment and you're laying in your bed and you're 3 a.m still up trying to figure out how do i figure this out how do i make this moment work if you'll just take a moment and be like god i invite you in this problem 
I invite you into this situation. Help me figure this out. And then actively spend time after that moment looking for him to answer your prayer. Mm-hmm. Don't just say it, yeah. but actively look for the answer. That's good. And wait for it. Because I think a lot of times we're like, God, help me. And then we run off and we forget about even asking mm-hmm. for help. And actually something Samuel and I, we've been really practicing is like when we're asking for help, when we realize the help has come, to actually stop in that moment and be like, hey God, I remember two weeks ago we prayed for this. Mm. We actually asked for you to help us here. And we we was we just actually want to acknowledge that two weeks ago we asked for help and today you helped. And so thank you. Oh, that's so good. Anyways. We're inviting God into our problems today, Benny. That's it. Super easy. That's what we're doing. It's not hard. Guys, quit making it complicated. <laughs> we love you. Thank you for joining us for coffee today. I hope you all are blessed and highly favored like Ben was in prison. <laughs> Next week, we have one of my very best friends in the entire world. She was a saving grace for me my freshman year of college, and we've been inseparable ever since. Her perspective on God and the world has always deepened mine, and I'm eternally grateful that I get to do life with her. So next week, join me as I have coffee with someone whose name you've heard a lot around here, my best friend, Daniela. See y'all next week.